If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So it's a weird feeling not having a car. I don't own a car. Neither one of us own cars now. This is the first time, I think, since I was 16 that I haven't had a car. Same. I was uh, 12. That's right. You got a car when you were 12. Yeah, my dad bought me a Lincoln Town Car when I was 12. (laughs) I I don't know how to express to you, like, the the who I am Mm -hmm. is not by accident. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) This would explain your unusual emotional connection to your vehicles. I think I so. I well, don't think it's unusual. I think a lot of people get connected to their vehicles. Well, yeah, but today when we were turning your car in, we sold your car, we were, we turned it in and... Daria. Yes, Daria. And you had this look of uh, devastation on your face as we walked into the uh, the dealership and I had to remind you that we weren't euthanizing it. Yeah. But you yeah. feel as though... We've somehow betrayed I've your... I've betrayed her. You betrayed your Nissan Rogue. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't think there's anything that you can say to make me not feel that way. Mm. She was so good, right? She got us all the way down here. She nothing. She never did anything wrong. That's not a true. single yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. Always reliable. Always starting up. Turning when I ask her to. To frame it for you guys... As to how upset Kat was. Yeah. We're not going to talk your, about that. Your tummy was so upset. I was. That you pooped at the CarMax. I mean, like in the restroom. Well, yes. It wasn't just. Yeah. No, of course. <laughs> but <laughs> like you. Drop trowel in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's no. just Kat has an aversion to using public restrooms and avoids it whenever possible. You know, I have an emotional tum. Yes, I do. The lady who was helping us was so sweet, though, because she was like, all right, well, uh, have a good day. Bye. And I just kind of sat there and stared at her. And she was like, is everything OK? And I was like, it's just I love her. And she came around the desk and hugged Kat. <laughs> it was a lot. It was a lot. I will admit that. It, but yeah. And then we got pizza. Yeah. And so really, my day turned around pretty quickly. It all ended very well. So I got a story for you. I'd love to hear it. Now, I know you've heard of this person. I think that we've kind of kicked this topic about a little bit from time to time during our evening pillow talk. Mm -hmm. 
Baba Vanga. Oh, yes. She was a Bulgarian prophetess who, from the mid-20th century, captivated the world with her cryptic predictions. Some referred to her as the Nostradamus of the Balkans. And her life was marked by extraordinary uh, events, and it remains a subject of fascination, even decades after she passed away. Now, if I remember correctly, wasn't she blind? Yes, she was. So this is two topics in a row that you've done about blind people. Yeah, it just happened. Huh. Wasn't planned that way. Did she just Google blind people stories? (laughs) Baba was born on January 31st, 1911, in North Macedonia. She led a life laced with the unusual. At age 12, she was allegedly caught up in a severe storm. It was like a sandstorm or a dust storm. And that's how she... Sandstorm. Remember Sandstorm? I know. No, I don't. That made no sense to me. I just thought you were having a stroke. Oh, I'm sorry. At age 12, she was caught up in this storm, this sandstorm, and that is where she lost her sight. Uh, The event, as tragic as it was, supposedly was the key moment that unlocked her psychic abilities. As her fame spread, so did the tales of her bizarre lifestyle. I'm sorry. So once again, this is something incredible happens to someone because of a storm that they were involved in? Yeah. What a bizarre coincidence. So weird. Are we having a boo effect? I think so. She was known for engaging in unusual practices, such as speaking to invisible beings and making prophetic statements in a trance-like state. That's what it raves all about. (laughs) Trance music. Um, One particularly peculiar event of her life was her alleged communication with creatures from another world. The famed Bulgarian mathematician Dr. Georgi Lozanov even studied her for a while, and uh, he conducted some experiments, and he claims that uh, he observed Vanga's ability to be able to see with her fingertips. Her prophecies, especially those that seemingly came true, have drawn a lot of, uh, a lot of attention over the years, and we're going to look at a few of them here. She made a prophetic statement, which was frighteningly accurate. Her exact words were this. This was her, her prediction. At the turn of the century... In August of 1990 or 2000, Kursk will be covered with water and the whole world will weep over it. At the time, skeptics scoffed at the prediction because they argued that the city of Kursk was landlocked and therefore could not possibly be covered in water. Mm. But the prophecy's specificity regarding the location of Kursk and the timing, turn of the century, August of 99 or 2000, and the event itself covered with water presents a striking correspondence to this actual event. On August 12, 2000, the nuclear-powered submarine Kursk of the Russian Navy sank to the bottom of the sea during a military exercise. All 118 personnel on board died, either instantly from the explosion or subsequently from drowning or suffocation, causing the entire world to mourn. But one of the most talked about prophecies 
is her prediction of the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and tsunami. It said that uh, she foresaw the disaster years before it happened, saying that, quote, in 2004, a huge wave will cover the entire coast, covering people and towns, and everything will disappear beneath the water. Wow. And the catastrophe claimed 230,000 lives. Holy shit. Across 14 countries, making it one of the biggest, deadliest natural disasters ever recorded. I remember that day. I remember that day. It was only 20 years ago, not even quite. 230,000 people died. And the video of that is horrifying. I'm sure. One of the most widely discussed prophecies of Baba Vanga is her apparent foresight of the catastrophic events on September 11th, 2001. Mm. In 1989, she reportedly wrote this. Horror, horror. The American brethren will fall after being attacked by two steel birds. The wolves will be howling in a bush, and innocent blood will be gushing. Wow. In retrospect, the term American Brethren, of course, and Steel Birds have been interpreted by many to refer to the U.S. and the airplanes used in the attack against the World Trade Center. And the imagery of wolves howling in a bush could be interpreted as a reference to the hideouts of the terrorist organizations or, alternatively, symbolic reference to the subsequent war on terror led by President George W. Bush. The phrase innocent blood gushing, of course, that's pretty self-explanatory. That's wild. This claim that Baba Vanga predicted the 9-11 attacks really contributes significantly to her fame and uh, continued interest in her life and her prophecies. She also warned about climate change, a concern that's become really a global emergency. She reportedly predicted that by the mid-2020s, European countries could expect massive flooding and that the melting of ice in the North Pole would raise sea sea levels significantly. Mm. These prophecies have been linked to real-world events, yet they are cryptic and open to interpretation, which is a common trait of many renowned soothsayers. Nostradamus, of course, had the quatrains. Critics argue that the claims of of their fulfillment are a result of post-event fitting and subjective validation. Well, I mean, we've talked about before the idea that time is not linear. Right. And so if that's the case and someone's got some sort of tapped in brain business because of trance music that they listened to at (laughs) Barnaby's in the 90s. They're rolling on Molly. Right. They may have access to that kind of thing. It's true. We don't know. Now, not all of her predictions were about tragedies and calamity. She also reportedly made some optimistic forecasts about medical advancements, suggesting that this year, 2023, a cure for cancer will be found using something, quote, iron-like. Oh, my goodness. I hope that's true. As of now, cancer research has seen significant advancements, of course, but whether this aligns with her prediction remains to be seen. Iron-like. Iron-like. But one of the most intriguing aspects of Baba Vanga's uh, legacy was her own prediction of her own demise. According to a source close to her, she had a precise awareness of her impending death and had shared this with those around her. Many people have witnessed it. She reportedly claimed that uh, she had, quote, chosen the day that she would pass away as August 11th, 1996. She was said to have put all of her affairs in order the preceding months leading up to this, making sure everything was prepared for her departure, including choosing her own burial site and arranging for the funeral services. And as she predicted, 
She died on August 11, 1996. Her death, like most of her life, was surrounded by, by an aura of mystery and fascination. Her funeral was attended by massive crowds of people. And that, of course, is a testament to the significance of her influence on people's lives. Mm. The prediction of her own death showcases Baba Vanga's extraordinary confidence in her own abilities and her acceptance of her mortality, whether her ability to predict her own death was really clairvoyant or profound understanding of her own health. It remains a significant part of her story and continues to really hold the interest of Baba Vanga in people's minds. I think that probably for me personally, that that prediction is the least impressive. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, which one? Which one do you think is the most impressive to you? I think the the wording of the nine eleven attack mm. prophecy mm. is quite yeah. compelling. Yeah, I I I would agree with you. I, I think it, for me, it's a tie between that and the uh, submarine, the Kursk submarine. It was already underwater. Her life and predictions remain enigmatic, with a complex blend of skepticism, faith, myth, and reality. Baba Vanga, through her prophecies, has uh, etched a unique place in history. Perhaps what enthralls people the most about her is not necessarily the accuracy of her prophecies, but the endless possibilities that they present, the intriguing blend of fear and hope that they offer. I love a good prophet. It's also one of my favorite books. So You're a big Khalil Gibran fan, aren't you? I am. Yeah. So regardless of whether one sees her as a seer or a product of popular folklore, Baba Vanga's legacy undeniably prompts us to explore beyond the mundane and to contemplate the vast mysteries of our existence. My source, information, Baba Vanga, The Balkan Prophetess by Mark Harris. The Bulgarian Times, New York Times, The Balkan Chronicle, The Enlightened Times, and Baba Vanga predicts 9-11 by Jennifer Rosenberg. Baba Vanga. Hey, are we going to get into copyright infringement trouble with this? I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. 
Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now... That thing in the middle. Today's thing in the middle. Some of the weirdest finds from unclaimed baggage. I've been told you can find some treasures there. Number five, shrunken heads. Yes, shrunken heads. And oh my goodness, they look terrifying. Number four, a 10-foot-long Tibetan traditional longhorn. Like a cow? No, like an instrument. Oh, okay. Because that'd have to be an awfully big suitcase. Number three, a violin made by one of Stradivarius's students. It seems like a very valuable thing to just leave at baggage claim. Number two, a hoggle puppet. (laughs) Like life-size? Yeah, a four-foot-tall hoggle puppet from the 1986 classic Labyrinth. How do you forget a four-foot hoggle puppet? How do you get a four-foot-tall hoggle puppet? That's a better question. And number one, a space shuttle camera. A modified Nikon F camera from NASA's space shuttle program was found in the late 80s. Uh, It's a specialized model. It's one of the earliest versions of the digital camera and the only one made and uh, I'm sure quite valuable. And somebody left it in their luggage in D.C. I recently came across an article on things people have left in Ubers. Oh, yeah? Yeah. One was an artificial leg. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that he didn't take it off and forget it, but uh, oh, maybe it was just a spare. Maybe he just brought a spare with him. Huh. Yeah. All the things that we learn. Nessa sent us a message asking how to find our merch because we talked the other day about the new design that you came up with, the mm-hmm. Freaks Friends thing, yeah. and they wanted to get it, so I sent them a link. It's a Tee Public page, and you can find the link to that on our website, theboxofoddities.com. All of our other merch is there, too. Yeah, there's t-shirts, there's sweatshirts, there are notebooks, there are stickers, there are coffee mugs. All kinds of stuff. Cabinet of Curious Clay sent us a message and said regarding the latest episode about the large owls, 
They said, it reminds me of the superb owl from The Best Show Ever, What We Do in the Shadows. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen this episode, absolutely watch it. It's hilarious. I love that show, but we haven't watched a lot of it. Yeah, it's one of those shows that we were really into for a short period of time, and then something distracted us, yeah. and we never got back into it. I should download a bunch of them for travel days. That's a great idea. M from Baltimore sent us this. Hi, Cat and JG. I'm not going to get into how we got here, but my wife and I were going through our local strip club's ratings and reviews because why not? (laughs) That's free entertainment. Anyway, three doors down. And then in parentheses, they wrote, if I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? (laughs) Sorry, I'm like a fucking squirrel. Anyway, for real this time, we live three doors down from this strip club called The Goddess. Upon reading the, quote, Gentleman's Club reviews, one belligerent patron mentioned that Babe Ruth had bought the goddess and gifted it to his father. Really? And allegedly, I did zero fact-checking, so don't crucify me. The babe's pop conked out right in front of the goddess. Oh, no. Went out like an effing legend. At the same time, my wife and I looked at each other and said, we should send this to Boo. And so here we are. Other fun facts about the little downtown area we live in is that I'm a block from Edgar Allan Poe's grave. And the Orioles Stadium is one of the possibly only baseball fields that has real grass and not turf. Camden Yards. I've been there. It's great. I hate sports, but I just know that because I'm into grass. Cool. Anyway, you guys are rock stars, and I legit hope next time you pop into this wacky city, I get to see y'all live. Possible topic ideas to follow. Flying our freak flags, M and Han. Amazing. That inspired me while you were finishing up that email to pull up our local strip club called The Dollhouse. (laughs) And there's a five-star review on there from someone named Robert that says, I was there from 1977 to 1983. All the girls there were absolutely gorgeous. Lisa, Selena, Sugar, Marilyn. Are they all still there, I'm wondering? And, and if they are, do they, do they strip with their walkers? I just think it's amazing that this review was written four months ago. That's crazy. I love it. Girls, Girls, Girls by Motley Crue, the dollhouse in Fort Lauderdale. They mention it in the... Oh, do song. they? Yeah. The dollhouse in Fort Lauderdale. I know I'm not doing it justice, so I'm going to shut up my pie hole. Um, this one says that it's in Oak Ridge. Is that near Fort Lauderdale? That song came out decades ago, so who knows? Well, not that long ago. The 80s were only 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> in your head. Forever. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. 
So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. The only podcast that's part of this nutritious breakfast. This is The Box of Oddities. Maria Shelyashevo was devastated by loss in 2013. The story goes like this. The eight-year-old from Lashevo in Russia was said to be inconsolable after her father, Mikhail, a respected law professor, entered their home's cellar and unknowingly succumbed to death. What? Concerned about her husband's well-being, Maria's mother, Anastasia, ventured into the dark cellar to search for him, but was also taken by death. Their 18-year-old son, Georgie, followed suit, hoping to find his missing parents, but tragically suffered the same fate as his mother and father. So this was a basement of death. Indeed. A cellar of horror, if you will. Recognizing that something was amiss, Anastasia's mother contacted a neighbor for assistance, but tragically, before help arrived, she too entered the cellar and did not return upstairs. According to the articles, they all died of gas poisoning, okay. which had accumulated in the basement as a result of badly rotting potatoes. They were killed by badly rotting potatoes? Death by deteriorating tubers? The articles go on to talk about toxic compounds in potatoes called glycolkaloids, with solanine and choconine being the most common. Solanine was first isolated in 1820 in the berries of a European black nightshade. Nightshade is the term used to describe over 2,800 species of plants, including eggplants, tomatoes, and some berries. Those are some popular Mm. nightshade varieties. That being said, the potato is the most common cause of solanine poisoning in humans. That's fascinating. So these toxins affect the nervous system, and they cause weakness and confusion. They're mainly found in the leaves, stems, and sprouts of potatoes, with the highest concentrations just beneath the skin. Now, cooking potatoes can partially destroy the compounds, and wild potatoes have enough glycolkaloids to be toxic to humans. The toxic reaction can also include headaches, diarrhea, cramps, and in some cases, coma and death. Wow. This is true, and unfortunately, this family in Russia did die. But did they expire because of rotting potato fumes? Debatable. Well, it's a fascinating concept, and really, it's horrifying because who doesn't come in contact with potatoes on a regular basis? Maybe not rotting potatoes, but potatoes. And by the way, nothing smells worse than a rotting potato. 
What's worse, rotting potato or old laundry? Ooh, <laughs> rotting potato. Yeah. Do you remember my old apartment that overall was in pretty good shape and yeah. smelled just fine, mm-hmm. except for that one room? Mm-hmm. Isn't that weird? I always thought it smelled like rotting potatoes, but I could never pinpoint where it was coming from. And so I just stored things in there and closed the door. <laughs> I, w- I did not do anything in that room. It was just like, well, okay, we just don't go in there. As a kid growing up in northern Maine, where mm-hmm. potatoes are the number one export from Aroostook County, specifically the northern tip of Maine. When I was growing up, they let school out for three weeks to allow the kids to go and work in the fields to help bring the crops in. Yeah, potato harvest season, a.k.a. county kids don't go to school. Yep, picking season, we called it, too. It was like picture grapes of wrath. People coming from all over the place to help Mm -hmm. work. You got a lot of people with questionable backgrounds uh, working in the field alongside your kids, which was always an interesting combination. Anyway, we would get into potato fights. We would collect the rotten potatoes in a pile throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, we would pelt each other with them. And what was great about that was the center would be rotten but not really the, you know, it was still firm all the way around the potato. You throw it and it would hit and explode. Like if you hit a barrel or a kid with a rotten potato, Mm -hmm. it would explode and cover them with this smelly goo. It was awesome. Arusta County kids, hearty and cruel. That's on the county crest. It's on the license plate. A simpler explanation for what had happened in this cellar is this. One of the major breakdown products from rotting potatoes and any other rotting vegetable is carbon dioxide, and that is heavier than oxygen and will displace it when there's no air movement. And so this root cellar, this closed off below ground space without a lot of air movement, is an ideal place for carbon dioxide to pool. And so the family in this story was likely asphyxiated due to a lack of oxygen rather than being poisoned by potato gas. <clears throat> they must have succumbed to it relatively quickly, though, especially yeah. the later people who went down to investigate, because I'm sure that they told people they were going to go down there and, hey, I haven't heard from you for a while. Maybe we should go check on Timmy. It is a tragic event, but under normal circumstances, there's no need to worry about potatoes. Like if you see them, you you can mm-hmm. you don't have to run away. But that doesn't mean that potatoes and solanine can't be harmful. There is a long-standing rumor that Richard Sackville, the third Earl of Dorset, died from eating too many potatoes in 1624. But that also probably isn't exactly what happened. It wasn't just that he just had too many. Didn't we see a documentary a while ago about how one of our genes mutated to allow us to, to digest starchy products like uh, like potatoes? And those who were able to do that were the branch of humankind that survived and everybody else died out. Yeah. And I think that the original gene for that was discovered in uh, Central and South America. And that makes sense. Because they've got like 400 different types of potatoes. Yeah, I'm just putting this all together. Look it's interesting. You. Yeah. The quote uh, that I found about Richard Sackville uh, dying involved the term gobbled up a potato pie. <laughs> which I, <laughs> uh, and then I started thinking about that uh, pizza skins from Pizzeria Uno. Yeah. Or 
I guess it's Uno's Pizzeria, and I, I've always said Pizzeria Uno. I don't know how I got that wrong. But anyway, those pizza skins. Oof. I would die for those. <laughs> I would. In South London in 1979, without warning, 78 schoolboys and a handful of monitors at a small school simultaneously fell ill. Symptoms included vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, which I'm sure felt like an electric jagged spear in their tummies. And in several cases, depression of central nervous systems. Several patients were comatose with episodes of convulsive twitching and violent fits of fever. Luckily, everyone recovered. But what caused this mysterious outbreak? Investigators were able to pinpoint the culprit when they found a large bag of potatoes left in storage from the previous summer term. Okay. Explain that, please. They were old potatoes, and they had turned green. The boys had been fed boiled potatoes that had a high concentration of the toxin solanine. Of course, symptoms vary depending on the ratio of body weight to the toxin. And in this case, because the boys had little tiny bodies, they didn't take much of the green tubers to make them ill. Mm. A recent study suggested that a 16-ounce fully green potato is enough to make a small adult ill. Now, I don't know what they mean by a small adult, but just don't eat green potatoes, okay? <laughs> In 1899, 56 German soldiers got solanine poisoning after they ate cooked potatoes that contained 0.24 milligrams of solanine per gram. Again, all of them recovered, but a few experienced jaundice and partial paralysis. I'm surprised we haven't seen a story based on this on forensic files. It seems like a great way to knock somebody off and not get caught. I mean, you know, hypothetically. Stop, shh. No, it would be a terrible way to... Yeah, don't even think about that. Luckily, most commercial varieties of potatoes are screened for solanine. But any potato can build up the toxin to dangerous levels if they're exposed to light or stored improperly. Usually... You can spot a potato that is unsafe to eat by its becoming green. Yes. As a kid growing up, we were told when we were picking potatoes. To, I love how many as a kid potato stories oh, you have. Well, that's all we did up there was eat potatoes and pick them. We were told by the farmhands, if you will, to discard the green potatoes. Mm. Uh, they'd been exposed to the sun too long. We were told that the reason that we were disposing of them was because they were sunburned. Those are sunburned potatoes. All right. Well, I mean, that's a pretty colloquial, simple way to put it. They do become bitter when solanine starts to build. Mm. So they're not delicious. Never once did anybody ever tell us that they were potentially deadly. Yeah. Usually you can spot the greening that's starting to appear first near the sprouting eyes. So like where where the little mm -hmm. spooties come out, the yep. you know, the little which I find very satisfying to flick off with my thumb. Anyway, um, usually it's right around those that it will start and it's right underneath the skin. And a way to keep this from happening is just storing potatoes properly, uh, cool, dark areas, and when in doubt, throw them out. <laughs> It's not like they're a really expensive commodity. 
you can afford to let one go. That's part of the problem. In history, there have been lots of instances, as we've talked about some of them, of solanine poisoning from potatoes. And so many of them came about because mm-hmm. of wartime. Right. And when things are really slack and people resort to eating things that are not good for them, not knowing, of course, that it's potentially poisoning them. They sure. just think, ew, gross potatoes. But yeah, if you're hungry enough, you'll eat your shoe. Right. Like, we need another reason why war is bad. Stop with the war and also green potatoes. And don't eat your shoe, especially during wartime, because there's often a footwear shortage. Ask the Confederates when they entered Gettysburg. Oh, that's right. I remember something in glory about there being a shoe issue. The, the, the story goes that the Confederates went to Gettysburg because they heard there was a warehouse full of shoes. That's why they ended up in, in Gettysburg? In Gettysburg, yeah. Now, there have been many historians who dispute that. They say, no, it's just kind of a... A cool story, but the story does linger. And it makes sense because there was a real problem with foot rot because they didn't have appropriate footwear. Well, the Confederate Army in general was just poorly equipped. Another interesting thing about Gettysburg is that that battle, the South came in from the North and the North came in from the South. Oh, isn't that interesting? Mm. And also, if you haven't heard, the Gettysburg battlefield is way haunted. All right. I got my information from a Smithsonian, from Snopes, from the Daily Mail and Huffington Post. Interesting stuff. You want to hear, hear another me picking potato story? You know I do. You oh my ha- gosh. I just keep, I picture you wearing your little conductor outfit yeah. in the field, mm-hmm. picking potato. You're yep. so cute. Red bandana. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know how big a barrel is. Yeah. You can imagine how much work it takes to fill a barrel with potatoes. Indeed. It took four baskets full. I remember that. And it's backbreaking work. And we would be paid 35 cents a barrel. That seems fair. It actually went up to 50. I mean, it cost 75 cents to go to college then, so. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but there were only three colleges. There was Harvard and. uh, Can we real quick just go over your conductor outfit thing yeah i tried to start a fashion trend in my high school and it did catch on yeah um i had like a a train conductor's cap you know the old-fashioned train cap (laughs) and i would wear a long sleeve Uh t-shirt and kind of like a henley and then denim overalls Right, right 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 with that cap and then i had a red bandana tucked in the rear right pocket. I, I was dressing like a train conductor. Yeah. And um, yeah, it caught on pretty soon. People were dressing like train conductors for no reason whatsoever. I enjoyed that little experiment. Okay. We know it wasn't an experiment. <laughs> you goof. <laughs> you can't just go back in time and pretend like you did it because yeah. you weren't just really interested in looking like a conductor. I was a, I was a big fan of B.F. Skinner. And you were more like a big fan of Captain Kangaroo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just interested in human behavioral response. Mm -hmm. That's what I was. That was what that was. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thanks for hanging out with us, you guys. And uh, look for our merch store. Soon we're going to have conductor outfits. That'll be fun. Theboxofoddities.com. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. <laughs> Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. Choo-choo. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. It was a social experiment. 
Human behavioral science. Plus, I, I look great in overalls. Oh, I have no doubt. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities And Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2023 All rights reserved Science words (laughs) Fucking science words Where are my glow sticks?